0: Welcome to the podcast series Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on this journey and download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. Lots of great resources and tips and ideas and techniques that you can use in your own creative writing process. So, Get your free ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre, and by now you've heard from authors of picture books, chapter books, middle-grade fiction, young adult, and now you're hearing from some publishers, and I hope you find this series interesting. This episode, we're talking to Suzanne O'Sullivan, who is the commissioning editor for Lothian Children's Books and the associate publisher of children's books for Hachette Australia. With over a decade in publishing, Suzanne works with a who's who of notable authors. When Suzanne spoke with Alison Tate from the Australian Writers' Centre, she was keen to pass on the secrets of what makes a great publishable manuscript. Let's hear from Suzanne.
1: Susanna O'Sullivan is the Associate Publisher of Children's Books at Ashette Australia, which was named on the weekend as the Australian Publisher of the Year at the Leading Edge Books Conference. She has worked in the book industry for over a decade and has spent most of that time in children's books, editing everything from board books to YA slash crossover fiction. And... Um, in the spirit of disclosure, I should also say that Suzanne is my most excellent associate publisher at achette. So, Suzanne, how about we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into children's publishing and why?
2: Well, I knew when I uh, finished my degree, which was an arts degree with majoring in English at uni, uh, that I wanted to get into publishing. I'd worked in bookstores in the last couple of years of high school and right through uni, Um, I didn't know then exactly what area I wanted to be in Um, and I started working in legal publishing which was very, very dry Um, and because I was finding that not quite stimulating, I decided to do some part-time study at the same time and my job happened to be just down the road from Macquarie University. And I was looking into courses there. I saw that they had a a very highly regarded Master's in Children's Literature. Hmm. And I thought, well, I've always loved selling kids' books in the bookstores that I'd worked in. And I'd studied some children's literature in my undergrad degree. So I thought I would get into that. And I absolutely loved it. Um, And that made me realize that those were the books that I really wanted to be working on. And then I just kept trying and trying until I was lucky enough to to get a job actually in children's publishing.
1: So where was your first job? like is it was that sort of something was it a, an entry level sort of position or did you go straight in as a publisher or how does it work? Yeah,
2: so I started uh, in legal publishing as a production editor, mm-hmm. so that was a job that involved um, copy editing but also more production. Uh, things like formatting text and getting it all ready for for, uh, printing or Mm -hmm. for publishing online. Um, And then I worked as a junior editor in educational publishing Hmm. and then uh, another junior editor role in children's books. And then, yeah, gradually
1: worked my way up. And is children's fiction something that you've always enjoyed reading? Like, is, was it a, is it a, I mean, have you always been a reader of YA, et cetera? Or, you know, was that something that you came to when, you're, when you decided that it was an area you wanted to go into?
2: Um, I suppose I never never really stopped reading it. Um, I was at uni um, when Harry Potter started to take off. Mm.
1: Um,
2: I, in fact, I remember in first year uni, um, I heard someone, one of my Seminars. It was completely off topic, um, talking about Harry Potter and how great it was. And at that point, I think there were three books out, or the third book had just come out, and I immediately read those. Um, and you know, then a few other books that came along. I never felt any kind of stigma about still reading them. I was relatively young, so <laughs> they were still for me. Um, and then, you know, once I. Um, realised that was what I wanted to work in. And, of course, as a bookseller, you're reading all sorts of things Mm. to sell to your customers.
1: So now as the Associate Publisher of Children's Books at Ashet, how many manuscripts do you receive a week into your offices?
2: Um, That varies. I would say I get sent um, at least one thing every day. We don't accept um, unsolicited manuscripts. So those are things that are coming from agents, okay. um, from uh, foreign rights departments or overseas agents, or from um, authors that we've already worked with, or recommendations that have come through um, people that we've worked with, uh, or again, you know, people that I've met at a conference
1: or something like that. Okay. Um, yeah. And is there a reason that you don't accept unsolicited manuscripts?
2: Uh, mostly just the lack of, uh, of eyes in the office, really. Right. We, um, time and space. Yeah, so we want to be able to look at, at everything that we get. Um, and it's, unfortunately, we just don't have, have enough time and people to, to look at absolutely everything. So we try to
1: keep it manageable. We okay. do
2: accept adults unsolicited manuscripts it's just children's at the moment we're not
1: okay and of the manuscripts that you are receiving you know is there a is there a trend to one towards one section of of children's publishing like are you getting a lot of YA are you getting a lot of middle grade are you getting a lot of picture books like what's the um what kind of percentages are you looking at um I'm
2: getting a, a lot of YA um even though I don't publish a great deal of YA um the next biggest area that I receive is probably picture books, mm-hmm. um, which is good because I publish a lot of picture books. I don't see as much middle grade as I would like to. I think that a lot of people are um, uh, really keen to get in to the YA area that I think maybe could give a bit more thought to whether middle grade might be better for them.
1: And be what's the, um, why do you think that people are, you know, shying away from middle grade? Is it? Is it an age group thing? Is it more difficult to write? Is it like, is it just a, sort of like trying to come up with something that's not wimpy kid? I mean, what's the, what do you think is the, um, uh, you know, barricade there?
2: Uh, I suppose there might be an element of it seeming a bit harder to write. Um, I think there's a big perception that YA is is massive, which it is to some degree, but it tends to be a small handful of authors that are huge blockbuster sellers um, and then a, a, a long tail of...
1: Everyone else. Of everyone
2: else. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a, a very popular perception that YA is where it's at and you've got to be writing YA because that's what people want. Uh, okay. um, and whereas I think if you look at the, the middle grade market, that's also incredibly strong. Um, maybe people yeah don't quite realize it
1: okay so do you have a favorite like as a publisher yourself do you have a favorite category like i mean you've you've sort of doing everything from board books to as you say you know some ya is there is there something one of those sections that really makes your heart sing um not really to be honest uh Anything
2: that's really good I love. <laughs> when I get something um that's a really great picture book, I'm really excited about that. But then, you know, when I, I open a new YA manuscript then it might be sensational as well and then that'll be my favourite thing at the moment. So yeah. I'm lucky to, to like all the different areas that I work on.
1: So okay then that so that then begs the question because, you know, there there's a huge difference between a picture book, um, you know, which has got, you know, probably 500 very, very carefully considered words in it, if that, if it's a board book, it's probably got fewer, um, through to, you know, like YA, which might be, you know, sixty sixty five thousand. 65,000, obviously also very carefully considered words. But, like, what are you looking for when you open a manuscript and, and how do you know you found it? I guess that's the big question.
2: Because
1: mm, um... that's the easy question for me to ask you, isn't it? You're like, oh, <laughs> please don't ask me that.
2: I think how you know you've found it is just um, a gut reaction on a lot of levels. It's an informed gut reaction from reading a lot and the things that you've worked on over the years. Um, but I'd say what I'm looking for primarily is really good writing with a really strong voice, um, something that just speaks to me very directly and feels feels new in some way doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a a completely brand new genre that the author's invented, but that the the voice is a voice that feels fresh to me. You know, um, I get a bit tired of reading things and going, oh, yes, I recognize
1: exactly who your influences are. Oh. (laughs) 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 Okay. Would you say that was one of the most common mistakes that you see? Is that sort of wearing your influences on your sleeve?
2: Um. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say mistake necessarily. I think it's a thing that comes with practice and with revision and rewriting, um, that the more people write, the better they get at creating their own voice.
1: Right, okay. So what would you say are the most sort of common, what are the most common things you see that would make you, you know, say no to a manuscript? Let's put it like that.
2: Um, yeah, I, I overly derivative um, voice mm-hmm. or story as well. As I said, a story doesn't have to be completely original and unique, but it it can't be too indebted to to anything in particular. Yeah. Um, another thing that I find a lot, particularly in kids' books, is wanting to tell me everything up front.
1: Okay. The,
2: for the, you know, the too much description and the complete background story of every character right from the very beginning. Right. Um, I, I like to get right into the story and I think most kids do as well.
1: Yeah. Do you find it difficult, like, I guess from my perspective, you know, as someone who does write middle grade, you're kind of writing for that, that 10 to, you know, 14 or whatever sort of age group. But, I mean, you're obviously not ten to fourteen, like do you have to then put yourself into the position of a ten to fourteen year old to read this stuff, or how do you how do you read it and think yes that's going to resonate with the market
2: That's a tricky one because it's um, very difficult, but I think what you need as a publisher and also as an author is to be able to remember quite clearly what it felt like to be mm. a kid at that particular age mm. um And to also try to keep up to speed with, you know, what are the other things that kids are not just reading but the games that they're playing and the movies that they like and all of that now. Um, So I do try to to think about, you know, is this appealing to me personally? And it has to be on some level. Mm. Um, But also would this appeal to me as a nine-year-old boy? (laughs) And sometimes uh, an author might have pitched something in a particular way, that you read it and think, oh, I, I don't think they're right in saying that this is for a, a, a nine-year-old. Um, but what they've got here has a lot of potential. It could potentially be something for a, a 13-year-old.
1: Okay. So you just get in touch with your inner nine-year-old and and judge it based on that. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So when people... Um, because you said uh, that you do publish, you know, quite a few picture books. Uh, so when you get picture books, do you, are you judging them solely on text or, you know, because I, I think when people write picture books, they probably try to describe everything that should happen in the picture as well as what's happening in the text. And I mean, is that, is that how you like to see them or what, what do you like to see in a picture, like in a picture book pitch, so to speak? I, I like to see just the text.
2: Um, and to only have a description of what um, the author would like to go in the illustrations if it's something that is absolutely essential. Um, you know. For example, in a lot of picture books, there's a gap between the text and the illustration. So there's mm. something, a bit of a dissonance there, something that isn't described in the text but is in the illustrations, and that makes the story whole. Um, so, for example, then... The author might want there to be a wordless spread where we see a particular thing happening. Right. Or it might be like um, Drak and the Gremlin, where the text is describing this, you know, fantastic science fiction adventure, but the pictures reveal that it's actually just two kids playing in the backyard. So yeah. a bit of a, you know, a one sentence at the beginning of the story um, would be all that's needed there. But um, to set the, that the up. text has to work uh, on its own
1: merits. Okay. How do you then choose an illustrator to work with the text? Because it's, it's a very collaborative thing, a picture book, isn't it? I think a lot of people maybe don't realize how collaborative it can be because, I mean, I know a lot of people I've spoken to who have have wanted to do picture books. You know, they, they want to work with someone they know to create the pictures and then send you the whole thing, which mm-hmm. I know is not necessarily how publishers like to work.
2: No, it's very unusual for it to... Um to come from the author and illustrator together. There are certain circumstances. I've got a book coming out later this year um, called Our Dog Knows Words by Peter and Lucy Goldthorpe. um, All right. Where Peter has written the text, and he's obviously a very acclaimed uh, author and illustrator in his own right. Yes. But in this instance, his daughter, Lucy, is illustrating, and it's her um, debut book. So something like that where it's... um, they've come up with it together and there's that connection. So it does happen but 95% or higher of cases the author sends us the text um, and we discuss here who we think would be a good illustrator for it and we consult with the author um, to make sure that they're happy with that as well. Um, but that's something that um, generally happens in the, the publishing house, but those discussions of, of you know, what's the right direction for this text, who do we think would be good, um, what's going to work in the market right now, all those things.
1: So you kind of, as an author, you you really need to be willing to let go of it a bit as well, don't you, to, to realise that it is a collaboration and that you need to work with um, the publisher to get the best possible product.
2: Definitely. And that is something that I see quite a bit from um, uh, people that haven't had a book published before, um, and in, in submissions where they're really saying this is exactly what the pictures should look like. Um, but the illustrator is basically an equal creator of the book with the author, so there needs to be space for them to interpret the story themselves. I mean, the the author always gets to see the, the roughs as the illustrator is working and to have their input. But, yeah, it could be... It's a difficult task, I think, to be able to, to step back and say, yes, I've written this story, but someone else is interpreting it now. And yeah, to have that space for them to do that is very important.
1: So you're basically creating a springboard for the story as a whole to kind of, you know, for the picture book as a whole to sort of take flight, aren't you? Because you, you're you giving the, the basis and then you have to allow someone else to come in and, and um, as you say, interpret that.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: So, with regards to the manuscripts that you do receive like if you how much work are you willing to do with a writer if you think that there's promise but the manuscript isn't maybe not currently working in its in its current format, like as you suggested before, like perhaps the person has envisaged it for nine year olds but you're thinking that maybe that what they're presenting would work better if it was rethought for thirteen year olds mm-hmm. uh, it
2: it depends uh, on a case-by-case basis on a a lot of things one um, would be how much potential I think it has and how how close it is Mm -hmm. Um, you know because I don't want to string people along too much if I read something and I felt that the if the author went back and made uh, some revisions and resubmitted it that it would be in a really good position um, to get published mm-hmm. then I would definitely do that. But if it was a case of I think it needs to be rewritten altogether, I might, you know, send some general general notes, general feedback, um, but not necessarily want them to, yeah. to so do leave a it huge up to the author. work expecting that yeah. that I will definitely pick it up. Yeah. The other constraint is is again time, um there might be something that I I look at and I think it's got a lot of potential, but if it hits me at a particularly busy time, I might not be able to give the author as much detailed feedback.
1: Um, As I might need. Okay. So um, on that, I guess I get, how many projects are you working on at any given time? Many. Um, (laughs) Lots, she says. (laughs) I I have uh, around
2: 20 books. On my list for 2015. Right. Um, and at any given time, um, you know, I might have, have one that I've just done a structural edit on it, uh, a, another one where we're working on the cover design, um, another one where the, is it say, a picture book and the illustrators just submitted their roughs and we're going over then. So I,
1: I could have around 10 projects at any given time wow. that I'm actively working on. That's kind of interesting, though, for you, too, isn't it? I guess, you know, Is there, do you have a favourite part of the process? Like, are you someone who loves a good structural edit or would you sort of rather sit around and talk about illustrations and cover designs? Like, what's your which, – which bit do you enjoy the most?
2: Um, That's a tricky one.
1: Mm. It. I'm good at tricky questions. It varies.
2: I, I love getting roughs from an illustrator. Mm. Uh, that's always a very exciting stage of a picture book when it, you first start to – to really see what it's going to be like. It's always very exciting. And I I also just often think that those are really beautiful illustrations because when the illustrator's not worrying about getting it perfect and getting all the, the details in there and having it all polished, so there's a real looseness mm. often to their work that's quite lovely.
1: Lovely. So um, here's the big question, I guess. What are you looking for at the moment? Is there anything in particular that you need to, you know, fulfill your every desire? <laughs> um
2: Picture books, always looking for new picture books, Um, and also really looking for illustrators. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think that in some ways it's harder to find um, new illustrators than it is new authors. Perhaps there aren't quite as many established channels. So how do you go about finding
1: them? Do people submit, you know, possible work to you, or are you sort of always actively looking at what's around
2: Yep, people do send us portfolios, but we also find um, people online. There are a few different websites that uh, for illustrators to post their portfolios on. Wow. Um, I attend things like uh, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators organize a portfolio day each year Wow. Um, where illustrators can submit their portfolios and uh, publishers from all different companies come to, wow. to look at those um and sometimes we'll spot someone's work on something quite unrelated you know in a an exhibition somewhere or they're selling their postcards at a market or something like that
1: wow. so always on the lookout always well speaking of always being on the on the lookout i guess i need to ask you the question of you know whether you look at author platform when you consider a manuscript i mean with children's um with children's fiction, is it is it difficult for a children's author to establish a platform before publication? Are you are you looking at the, that sort of you know what they're doing as far as raising their profile is concerned? Um, to some extent, yeah. One thing um, that is
2: good to know is how willing an author is to put themselves out there and promote themselves. Right. Um, so you know, even if they don't necessarily have a huge following already if we can see that they're keen and they're looking to make connections and market themselves that can be quite helpful it's not essential um but it certainly can help a lot okay
1: do you find most people are these days or is there still sort of a reticence about it in a way
2: no i think most people are are quite okay. keen and quite understanding the other big things for children's authors and illustrators um is school presentations. Yes. So, traveling around to schools, um, particularly during book week. So obviously, that's not something that you can do as an unpublished author. No. But it's it's something that can make a big difference. So, if I knew that someone absolutely positively didn't want to do anything like that, you know, depending on the book, that could make a difference. It okay. might be something where we think, oh, well, that's not quite the, the school's market, so it doesn't really matter, or... You know, for whatever reason, that's not a factor. Okay. But sometimes that can make a big difference. Okay. Knowing that someone will be really putting the book as much as they can.
1: So I think it's probably fairly well, you know, regarded that children's fiction is actually, it's a very strong part of the publishing industry at the moment. It's mm. selling very well. Do you, why, why do you think that's the case? Like, is it driven by YA, like people think? Or is it, like, why... Why why is children's fiction selling where perhaps adults' fiction is not doing as well? Uh, I think there
2: is an element of the the big YA smashes of recent years and Mm. that a lot of um, adult reading is actually of YA Mm. books. Very true. I think that is a factor, but it's not the whole story. I think that people still give kids' books as gifts a lot, which makes a big difference. And, there's, you know, people really want their kids to be reading. Even people that might not be big readers themselves, it's important to them to see their children reading. They give them books. They encourage them to buy books. So it's I, is lovely to see, really. Yeah, absolutely. With I'm all, all, all the other it. things going on in kids' lives.
1: <laughs> I'm all for it. All right. Well, let's just finish up with our favorite last question, which is uh, your top three tips for people writing for children. Mm. It's always an easy one just to finish up with. Lovely. Yeah. Top no. three tips. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, my first one would be
2: to read a lot. Yes. Uh, and read a lot of current kid stuff as well mm. um, because you, you know you need to know what else is out there and what appeals to kids.
1: Okay. So you can't just rely on your readings of the Famous Five from exactly. 20 years ago. Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah. As much as we love. As much as we, as we as love. Yet, yeah. Yeah. Um, my My number two would be to revise your work a lot, even if you're only writing a two hundred word picture book. It really needs to be polished. Don't write something and then fire it off to a publisher right away. You know, put it in a drawer and come back to it two weeks later. have another look, see if there's anything you could do better mm-hmm. in that um and my number three tip would be to just try and speak as directly and clearly as you can. Okay. I think that that's what really works in children's writing.
1: Okay. So no overwriting for children.
2: Uh, I I think avoid it as much as possible (laughs) is a good
1: idea. All right, Suzanne, well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we really appreciate it, and I know that our listeners will appreciate it because we've had lots and lots of requests for um, a discussion about children's fiction. So um, we appreciate it. Congratulations on the Publisher of the Year Award. I'm sure that's been celebrated with much champagne in the office. And certainly have. Um, we shall uh, leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alison. I hope you enjoyed the interview I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged nine plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher, the Book of Secrets and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's
0: A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Pitch Your Novel, How to Attract Agents and Publishers, gives you practical steps to attract agents and publishers to your manuscript. Presented by author Natasha Lester, this course gives you a step-by-step guide on how to create the perfect synopsis and cover letter, find the right publisher, and deal with the offers you get for your book. Natasha shares the same steps she used on her novel that resulted in a bidding frenzy between four publishers, so now it's your With our on demand courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au/slash pitch. I love how Suzanne says, revise your work a lot, don't write something, and then fire it off to a publisher right away. So important and great advice. You can't expect the publisher to do all the work for you. And if you submit a manuscript that's too rough, even if the idea is stellar, you may risk missing out on a publishing opportunity. Suzanne has a great feel for what kids want to read, and all of her experience in the industry makes her advice invaluable. So, all you aspiring writers, please listen closely to these insider gems. We hope you've been enjoying listening to Magic and Mayhem with the Australian Writers' Centre. Just a reminder if you haven't downloaded your free ebook, Called Magic and Mayhem, just go to magicandmayhem.com.au and make sure you get it because it's got awesome resources and techniques and ideas from all of the authors and publishers featured in this podcast series. So go to magicandmayhem.com.au. If you want some ongoing connection and to find your tribe, you can sign up to our weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au or join the Facebook group of our regular podcast. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free. We'd love to have you in there. So please do connect with me. I'd love to hear from you.